and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. And、uh, we promised our listeners last year, I think late last year, that we were going to kind of put a temporary moratorium, or I don't know if that's a contradiction, but at least a more you know a halt. To, uh, to to ivory related shows、uh, and Cobus, this is the topic that just doesn't stop giving. I mean, it really, you know, because we don't want to bore people with too many shows about ivory. Because we really thought, you know, people were asking us to do more shows on it, and they and we just didn't have anything more to say on the subject. And we've said the same thing over and over again. Well, lo and behold,、uh, China decides to crush six tons of its ivory stash. That's confiscated ivory that is picked up through customs and through、uh, various types of enforcement that it has.、Uh, that may come as a surprise to some people that China actually has ivory enforcement, but apparently it does. And lo and behold, the internet and world media goes completely ballistic with just wonderful positive reviews of China. So. Cobus, what was amazing to me about this ivory crush was it wasn't very well anticipated,、uh, and then when it happened,、uh, for at least 24 hours, the only headlines coming out of China, you know, regarding China's foreign policy,、uh, were just glowing positive headlines. I mean, were you as surprised as I was to see that? Yes, I was, especially considering how much China was condemned before.、Um, you know, was, they were pretty much painted as. Satan, you know, kind of before beforehand, and now suddenly they were you know, they were really fated. You could see that there was a real, you know, it's it was like the press wanted a new narrative, you know, kind of, and, and the Chinese government finally kind of handed them one. So it was really interesting to see. It was fascinating, and and let me pull up some of the headlines just to, uh, uh, you know. China's ivory crush may be a half measure, but it's a welcome one. China dis- destroys six tons of、uh, of confiscated ivory.、Um, you know, I mean, UN praises China's destruction of ivory stockpile. It went on for page after page after page of Google search results that China, from all over the world, all quarters. In fact, in thirty years of kind of following China-related news and being involved in the Chinese kind of universe. I have to be honest with you. I have never seen such rave reviews of anything that Beijing has done. Everything、yeah. that Beijing <laughs> has ever done, whether it's from the Olympics to kind of reducing infant mortality to you know educating child you know women and girls, blah 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 blah, always comes with this asterisk and this caveat that says although you know they've got bad things going on in Tibet, Xinjiang, Inner Mongolia, you know they're doing terrible things here, there, and everywhere else. In this case, it was it was unadulterated joy from people that you know <laughs> China did this thing. Okay, so China decides to pulverize six tons of、uh, of ivory, and it looked like really beautiful, big, solid ivory. This was not kind of wimpy ivory. Interestingly enough, that they had a lot of carved. Um, you know, already carved ivory that they seem to have confiscated yes, as well. Yes, that struck me as well. Yeah, and so yeah, was, clearly, and some of them really beautiful. Yeah.、Um, so which, yeah. So it, it you know so I guess my question, and if anybody who's listening in the Chinese Foreign Ministry knows something about this, I would welcome an email on it.、Um, is did China take heart from you know the positive press? You know, the irony is that it's the kind of thing that the Chinese have been so desperately trying to do with the likes of CCTV,、uh, you know, all this, you know, cultural diplomacy, the Confucius Institutes, everything to get this kind of press, and here they got it. So it just struck me as like, can you imagine if China kind of came out tomorrow and said we're banning ivory 
We're shutting down the carving factories. We're destroying the rest of our stockpile. We're encouraging the leadership in Hong Kong to do the same. And we're going to host a giant international summit to raise money for wildlife enforcement in Kenya. How, you know, the erections that would be going on around the world, I just (laughs) can't fathom it. I mean, I don't think that the Chinese will actually come out and do that. But I wonder if they took any measure of hope from what they saw in the international press that day. Yeah, that's that's what I was wondering as well. I mean, that would certainly be a real kind of PR coup, um, you know, kind of, and, and it would it because I think one of one of the most important things is that because well, one of the big problems that the Chinese government deals with is because they're such a big party and they're so the party is so economically integrated into the economy and it's so faceless, um, you know, kind of, uh, you know, to the extent that they, you actually have all these experts who are reading tea leaves around the clock to try and just kind of get a clue of what's going on behind the high walls, um, you know, kind of to, to make this gesture to show that we feel about these elephants the same as the rest of the world does you know kind of we 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 recognize their majesty we kind of we share your humanity that kind of you know it's, it's such a basic gesture to just show that we're all on the same page here you know um and i think particularly in the in, at the moment you, where where the tensions are so high in asia you know kind of that that is doubly kind of moving for people around the world because everyone's just worried about china all the time well china is a country uh, that really doesn't have any friends Uh, It's a country that has virtually no allies in the traditional sense of the word. I mean, Pakistan and North Korea are effectively the only two allies, and North Korea is not really an ally um, in many respects. They're attached by history, but they're not necessarily on the same page. I mean, when you think of an ally between, you know, the United Kingdom and, say, the United States, that's, that's really an alliance. So China is very, very lonely in the world for what it does. More importantly, the fact is that you know, China to me has an incredible double standard when it comes to elephants because it is against the law, punishable by very severe penalties in China to kill a Chinese elephant. It is absolutely punishable that if you go and poach, you know, a, uh, but I'm not sure they have ivory, the Chinese elephants, but if you go and kill, intentionally kill for any number of different things, whether it's the leather, whether it's the meat, doesn't matter. A Chinese elephant, you will be thrown in jail with a stiff prison sentence. And how the Chinese policymakers can't see that you know their involvement uh, in in the global wildlife trade is 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 to me a little bit mysterious. But as we've talked about n- numbers of times, and we're treading now into that that well well worn territory here. The Chinese have a very different view of this. A, they're rooted in the history and they believe it's their art form and, and Chinese politicians themselves deny, actively deny that they are responsible for the, the, the mass killing of wildlife in Africa. So I think it's a long time coming, but I guess I, I really wanted to see that they took uh, a lot of inspiration and I hope they got the credit for it. But Cobus, they mentioned one other thing that came out after the crush was that you know, they never told us what the total amount of their confiscated ivory stash actually is. So six tons is not everything. And so now there's a question of will they do it again, um, you know. Yeah, I mean, from what I, I saw estimates that it's only one-sixth of the, of the entire, the entire stockpile, you know, kind of, which is crazy. I mean, imagine all of that together. Um, and then Hong Kong still has its own stash as well, um, as a separate stash, which, which apparently is something like 30 tons. Um, 
So it's it's just crazy the amount of ivory that's actually sitting in warehouses, uh, you know, kind of in, in, in China and Hong Kong. It's insane. Well, okay. So this brings up the second question. And this was a, a real topic of discussion over on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash China Africa Project. Does crushing the ivory actually do anything? So there's one theory which says, well, taking it off the market is really the stupidest thing you could possibly do because it adds the perception, at least, that the value of the existing ivory on the market is only worth more. So it makes it makes the current ivory kind of price much higher, prompting more killing, prompting more smuggling, and there that cycle kind of goes. The other theory is that by taking this off the market, you're sending a message that China is not going to support it, is particularly going to crack down on smuggling and trafficking of ivory, and the fact is that it's really sending a message. I don't know what works. My suspicion is that the only thing that's really going to work is an outright ban with very, very tough prison sentences. Um, I have to be honest with you. I, I live here in Vietnam, and if you are caught with, I think it's more than... Uh, I think a half a kilo, but there's a certain threshold of weight of narcotics. Uh, guess what? You get a needle in the arm. That's it. You're done. Yeah. I mean, there is absolutely no no ands, ifs, or buts about it. That happens to be the same law in Malaysia, in Singapore, in Indonesia. Uh, so here in Southeast Asia, you don't traffic in drugs unless you are really playing with your life. And I, I'm not necessarily suggesting that you know that kind of punishment is warranted, but a very, very strong prison sentence. And this is where I think African governments really fall down. One prison sentence after another in Africa has been just a slap on the wrist. So you know, part of the deterrence has got to be jail time, but not just on the Chinese side. I think I think why it frequently looks like the Chinese have a double standard um, relating to ivory is that it's, it's probably also related to their non-interventionist policy. You know, kind of they set their own rules for for um, for wildlife preservation, and they're quite aggressive with it, especially for certain kind of symbolic animals like elephants and, and pandas. Um, but they don't necessarily, you know, kind of expect other countries to 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 you could use those same those same rules um they assume that other that uh, you know i would I, I would think that they assume that other governments you know kind of make their own rules about how how these resources should be should be managed and the fact is that that african governments actually don't make it look very you know, kind of for all of the for all of the NGOs that are kind of screaming bloody murder, um, the African governments are still really weak. You know, in terms of in terms of the laws, in terms of the the enforcement, um, it, it, you know, they're not making it a, a priority. Um, and so, you know, kind of who, who you know, if in, in, against the background of bilateralism, who should China, the Chinese government believe? You know, kind of they believe the government that they that they have the bilateral relationship with. That's true. And, and again, I, this is the point that I've made over and over again is that nobody, nobody in this debate seems willing to really put any political capital at stake for the elephants, not the Americans. I mean all of the talk from John Kerry and from President Barack Obama has all been about symbolism. I mean sure, if you count crushing ivory to be a substantive move, well then you know the, the Chinese and the Americans are on the same page here. Uh, and don't forget the Americans are the second largest uh, illegal ivory market in the world. So all the critics from the United States who are hurling so much invective against China, uh, I would hope that you would also throw that against your own government for the fact that there is lack enforcement there and also the fact that the Americans and other governments have not tied 
any real penalties to aid with respect to ivory poaching and whatnot, that African governments need to do more, must step up. The jail sentences handed down that are feeble at best are not because of the Chinese, and there's no blame that can be thrown towards the Chinese. Sure, the Chinese have their own issues that they have to deal with, but uh, but I agree with you, Kobus, that nobody, uh, nobody seems to really put the elephants first, and that to me is what's very, very sad because the killing uh, you know, is, is, is intensifying, is picking up pace, and so these crushes, whether they do something or not. Do, do you think the crush uh, is productive? I mean, is it a good idea in your mind? Yes, I think I think it is. Um, because, you know, it, it does, it, you know, treating it like c- cocaine, for example, you know, treating it like some kind of dirty illegal substance, um, you know, kind of, I think is symbolically val- valuable. Um, but I think, you know, for, for NGOs or, or other, other people who are interested in moving Chinese public opinion, because I think Chinese public opinion is really where, is, is the prize here, it's the holy grail. Um, you know, kind of once Chinese people don't want ivory, they, you know, kind of the Chinese government will move. Um, and this, so there was this interesting, you know, incident this, I think this week, last week, where Southern Weekly uh, published a big expose on, you know, kind of on the killing of elephants. And it went viral. Um, and one thing, <laughs> That was actually it's it's kind of funny. Um, one thing that it, it, it targeted was was a, a, a belief apparently that some Chinese have that that you know kind of that elephants just you know kind of that they that they, their teeth kind of replace themselves so their teeth basically fall out and so ivory gathering ivory is literally gathering the teeth that fell out kind of in the bush and that they're, they're not actually you know kind of extracted with chainsaws um so you know kind of this was a simple kind of photo essay uh you know kind of showing what elephants look like after their tusks have been removed um and it went viral and and it, it caused a lot of a lot of pressure on you know kind of on on, on certain kind of government ministers because you know kind of the, the the Chinese government tends to listen to Chinese social media. So I think that, you know, for people who want to change change the situation, it, you know, focusing on Chinese social media might be a good way. Well, it's not surprising that people think that it is that their teeth, in part because the word for ivory in Chinese is xiangya, which is, you know, elephant tooth. So it's mm. not surprising that that's the, the connection in that if we have a tooth that falls out, well, it's not the end of the world. Either if you're a child, it regrows, or if you're an adult, you can kind of make do without it. Um, you know, that's not to justify or to explain, but it at the same time does put some context around why people would say that. Let, let's talk about public opinion now, Kobus, and we'll shift gears from the Chinese now to 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 another form of media, not social media. Uh, but CNN. So earlier this week, CNN and correspondent Arwa Damon uh, ran a report from the Republic of Congo that's across the Congo River from uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo uh, in a report which I felt was real just shoddy journalism. And I know that a lot of people in the West, particularly on Twitter, were celebrating this as some kind of, you know, final expose that, that we've been waiting to kind of convict the Chinese. Let's take a listen very quickly to uh, Arwa Damon reporting from the Republic of Congo on CNN about the, uh, the ivory trade. Evidence in hand, Mathieu Ekel has had enough. His eco-guards have just found a carved ivory ring while searching vehicles at their checkpoint right outside the Odzala National Park. The two passengers, Chinese nationals. They are coming from Moyoi, the camp where I made the search. He's referring to a Chinese road construction camp. A month ago, his rangers detained two Chinese men with ivory tusks who worked there. 
Okay, Cobus. So, you know, this had a few interesting characters in it. There we heard the voice uh, of, of, of a French – I'm not sure what he is. Uh, is he a mercenary? Is he a soldier? Is he working for the government or whatnot? But he is definitely the main character in Arwa Damon's story. Uh, and, and he – and then at the same time, there the Chinese, if, if you watch the piece, and we put it up on our Facebook page, who are sitting there silent. And the Africans are kind of somewhere in there. And, uh, you know, on one hand, they look like they're being bossed around by the, the French uh, you know, whatever he is, law enforcement of some kind, official or unofficial. Uh, at the same time, they seem like the protagonist and they're really kind of leading the charge. Um, but it just felt to me like this was more of the white savior journalism that Nicholas Kristof in the New York Times is famous for, but that Africans themselves can't handle their own business, which may or may not be true, that the Chinese are guilty just by association, which, again, may or may not be, be true. But at the end of the day, it, the only person that comes out looking good in this is the white guy. And, and again, I'm not basing this on race, but I'm basing this on the fact that there is a long really deep history of white savior journalism in Africa. And frankly, it just looked lazy to me that we didn't hear the Chinese point of view. Whether or not we heard it directly from the Chinese themselves or from an analyst, you know, there's any number of people that you and I both know who could have commented to explain the Chinese. Uh, and the fact is that the caricatures and the portrayal of Africans and the Congolese were, to me, rather simplistic. What was your take on it? The thing that it reminded me most of was Rambo. You know, kind of, it just, it, it's this kind of strong white guy in this wild environment who somehow magically understands this environment more profoundly than the people who actually grew up there. Um, you know, so it, it just, it, it just played in, into a lot of weird kind of stereotypes, like kind of half-hidden kind of racial stereotypes. Um, and my, my feeling was that um, it was probably well, one of the reasons was that they, that they probably got access. Um, you know, so I mean, one of the, you know, working as a journalist, obviously getting access to these kind of things, to raids, for police raids, for example, is really hard. So when, if you, if you happen to wangle some kind of ride along, then you jump on that, that opportunity, you know, kind of, and if, if it happens to be with a vivid character who, who is willing to, to dress down people on camera, like he does, then you're like, yay, you know, kind of it's great I, theater. I, I get it's, great it's, footage. That's yeah. right. It's great so, theater. Um, and, and you know, kind of, and then, and then you try your hardest to try and clad it in, you know, kind of this kind of good footage into wider context to try and kind of, in, you know, explain the, the the problem that that you're actually trying to deal with. So, you know, my feeling is that that that's what she did. It's, it's she's probably working in a quite a hard you know, kind of context. It's, it's, I would guess the, the Republic of Congo is, is, is a hard place to work in. Maybe not as hard as the DRC, but still, it's tough. Um, it's and, definitely not easy. And yeah, you know, kind of. But but what it what it it ended up be feeling a little bit more like a a a, 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 a Cong you know, a cloud of of Western biases and Western ideas about Africa and their role in the world and, and their morality and so on, rather than a real kind of conclusive indictment of anyone. That's right. It's, I think it's very much how the West sees itself in Africa today. I think that they see that they're kind of, I mean, this was all of the caricatures kind of bundled up into three minutes, where the, you know, the, the Africans themselves were on both sides of the issue. The whites are doing their very best, very, very best to to help the poor animals of Africa from both the Chinese and also again the start the whole the imagery in the beginning is 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 the soldier the French soldier poking his hand 
hand into the into the chest of a, of a black African and kind of reading him the riot act and then at the same time kind of hurling accusations found unfounded and unproven towards the Chinese, which I'm not saying they weren't true. I'm just saying from a journalistic point of view, it was all unsubstantiated. And, and frankly, you know, when it comes to, to journalism, and I'm not sure CNN, my former employer for, a, for five years, um, is really a benchmark of journalism anymore today. So this is what passes to me. And in some ways, it's consistent with the fact that, you know, this has been the narrative for a very, very long time. Um, it's one of, in fact, when we talk about it, it's, I think this is a good case study. If I were CCTV, you know, promoting CCTV Africa, I'd say, listen, this is the crap that these guys are putting forth. If I was Al Jazeera who's saying, listen, we're putting the voice of the voiceless up and this is what CNN puts up, this is an example of the type of journalism that I think really kind of alienates a lot of people towards, uh, towards these stories. At the same time, it fits the narrative perfectly of the people who, as you see on our Facebook page and on Twitter and whatnot, who scream and yell, you know, to protect the, the elephants and at all cost. So I think it fits into a lot of narratives very neatly, but at the same time, it cuts a lot of corners. Yeah, you know, Kundavana, you know, it, in this, in this, against this background, the, the recent move at CCTV Africa to kind of to reframe their reporting to be about Africans dealing with African problems makes a lot of sense. You know, kind of, it, it, you, you can really see where that comes from. And you can see how if, if they do it consistently and they do it well, then that might actually get them quite a kind of a enthusiastic audience. Um, you know, we'll have to see whether they actually carry it through, but, yeah, yeah, but you do you, know, can, you ima- can you imagine how badass it would be if there was actually an enterprising Chinese journalist who did this story instead of you know Arwa Damon, and who could actually communicate with the Chinese to say, okay, what's really going on here? Um, you know, and actually, you know, CCTV would just go up in credibility so much if they actually put some Chinese in a negative light from time to time, because at the same at the end of the day, we'd think, well, okay, they're being fair. Um, we know full well that the Chinese would never cover a story like this on CCTV. Uh, but at the same time, that's the opportunity, is do a better version of this story that's fair, that is more accurate, that is more impartial, that isn't loaded with the historical baggage of, uh, you know, that this one is loaded. But I think you're right. It comes down to access, and, and that's what it comes down to. The article, uh, if you want to look on CNN.com, is Chinese construction camps eyed as ivory trade conduits in Republic of Congo. Even that title code is misleading because, again, we mm. didn't see any hard evidence. Now, there were fragments of ivory bone outside of that uh, of the construction camp. As anybody who's been in these types of places knows, that by itself is, is circumstantial. Um, you mm. know, until you actually find the carving place, until you actually have evidence, until – that's just all circumstantial evidence. And, 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 you know, so you can see the narrative that they're really going for. They want it to be a carving factory so bad. <laughs> they <Yeah>. really do. <laughs> and they're, they're going as far as they can without saying that it actually is. So, but it's on CNN.com. It's on our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash China Africa Project. Uh, we'd love to hear what you think on it. You know, am I overstating it? Uh, I might be. You know, I'm a little sensitive on these things. But nonetheless, uh, I just um, – the hairs on the back of my neck go up when I see this kind of sloppy journalism. Uh, what are your final thoughts on this? Yeah, you know, kind of for me, the the big world, you know, not to call it an elephant in the room. Oh, um, God. But <laughs> – 
but is you know kind of is is also I mean if if you know if if you were kind of wishing for a Chinese journalist to do the story, I was wishing for an African game ranger, you know, kind of to, to kind of hunting African you know hunting ivory poachers you know across the plains. Um, you know the fact that it's this French guy doing it, you know, that is just so doubly dispiriting. Um, so you know, kind of I mean again, you know, uh, you know I might come down a bit hard on African governance sometimes than you do, but you know, really come on, you know, it's like where where you know kind of where are the African journalists covering the story in this way? Where are the African game rangers doing it? The African governments enforcing it? It's just this big vacuum, um, and that just makes me crazy. Okay, so to your point there, I'm going to give a little shout out to Al Jazeera who did a multi-part, six-part series on South Africa. Go to aljazeera.com. You'll find and do a search for for uh, Africa game elephant rangers or some some variation of that. Uh, and they did a fascinating six-part documentary where they actually do follow uh, South African rangers on the Ivory Patrol. And unlike CNN, um, they actually find evidence. Uh, unlike CNN, they actually catch with hidden cameras. Cameras, uh, Chinese traders buying uh, illicit uh, ivory. So, uh, so Al Jazeera. I don't have the name right here, uh, but if you go to the Al Jazeera website and search for some keywords around it, you'll find it. Six-part series that actually does it, in my view. So, I don't want to leave everybody hanging that you know we're just negative on media as a whole on this subject because Al Jazeera did do a great job. CNN, uh, increasingly common, true to form, um, is uh, is lagging, and so uh, so that'll do it for this week. Uh, we thought we didn't have enough to talk about with ivory but apparently we do we hope that this will not be a regular theme of our podcast this year uh one we hope that it will finally kind of you know the killing will slow a little bit but two i think we've said about as much as we can say on this cobus uh cobus tell us where people can find you if you want to follow what you're reading and writing and doing these days I'm on Twitter at Stadnesk, that's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E, and you'll also see me on our Facebook page. And our Facebook page is facebook.com slash China Africa Project. One of the most popular discussions is, of course, on the ivory trade, on elephants, on Chinese foreign policy on this on the subject. We would love to hear what you have to say. Leave us a note. You know, uh, Kobus and I put our names in brackets so you actually know who you're talking to. Kobus out there in South Africa. I'm over here in Asia and Southeast Asia. Uh, so we're posting almost 18 hours a day, 145,000 followers from all over the world. It's a fantastic discussion. We hope you can join it. Uh, if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, I'm over there at E-O-Lander, uh, E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. And of course, if you want to listen to our podcast, we're on SoundCloud, uh, Stitcher, the BlackBerry Network, uh, the Kindle app as well. And of course, iTunes, which is the best way. Just uh, tap in all the dots and W's and get to iTunes and you'll search for us under China Africa Project. So, until next time, we'll be back with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening.